0: We bless you in this place. There is no God like our God. Amen. 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 I don't know about you, but when I sing those words, it's overwhelming because I need his grace every day, every day. And I'm grateful for his grace that he showed on that cross for us. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Romans, chapter three, as we continue on in our Grace Is series series. book of Romans chapter 3 and we'll begin reading in verse 21 when you got it say so and the word of the Lord says but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe for there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate that at the present time his righteousness, that he might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your presence, God. Thank you for being with us in this place today. And Holy Spirit, we just surrender to you right now. Spirit of grace, speak to our hearts. Reveal yourself to us. Empower us, Lord God. Strengthen our faith, Lord God. Strengthen us in our walk with you. Above all things, Lord God, my prayer is that you would use me in these next few moments to speak into the lives of my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would be glorified and that you would use me and that secondarily, Lord God, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers of it. Help us to live out the truths in the gospel, Lord God. And I pray these things in Jesus' good name. Someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so we began our series last week, Grace Is, and this week we'll continue in that series. Like I said, we'll be here for about for five weeks, exactly, unless I end up preaching or I don't preach, or should I, should I say that, unless I don't preach the whole sermon, we decide to go into a second part, but... At this moment, we'll be here for five weeks, and so last week, the foundational thing that we should have learned is that grace is given. That's what we talked about last week. Grace is granted, and it is grown in, and so foundationally, we should understand that we are granted grace. We don't earn grace. We don't do anything to deserve grace. On the contrary, we are 100% undeserving of God's grace. That's what makes it grace in the first place. Amen? Amen. And so we understand that foundationally. And so while grace cannot be earned, it does increase in our lives. How many can say amen to that? Amen. It's not something that we earn. It's something that should be increasing in our lives. And if we're honest, some of us, you know, we look at other people's lives sometimes and we see it's almost like they seem to have more grace than we have, right? You ever, you ever, you ever thought? I'm just saying, I know I've thought that sometimes. I'm like, man, I try to, you know, figure out what they're doing that I'm not doing. Hello. Because they seem to have more grace, and when I say they have more grace, it seems like they they're experiencing more of God. Remember, the word grace deals with favor, and it seems like they have more favor in their life. Like they get something, like they have some special in with God or something like that. And so it seems that way, but the fact is, is it's not that. That's not really true. Amen? Amen. It's not really true. Everybody in this room has the equivalent access to the equivalent grace. Amen. Everyone in this room has access to the same grace. Jesus died on the same cross for every one of us, and every one of us has that same access to that. And so it's not that some people have more grace, it is that some people have begun to walk in grace in a greater way. Some people have begun to experience grace in a greater way. They've begun to understand grace. And so the goal in this series is to reaffirm specific aspects of grace. And so I promise you, you're going to hear me say things that I've said before, and I'm okay with that, because when you read your Bible, God repeated himself a lot. Amen. I'm just saying. And so God wants to communicate to us. He wants to continuously remind us and establish in our hearts these principles of grace. And so we want to look at those things that are revealed in the scripture. And my hope is that you get a better understanding of the implications of the grace of God for our lives. And that we will also more faithfully walk in the grace of God in our lives by believing what the truth of grace is. Amen. That's the goal and that's the heart behind what we want to talk about. And so let me say this because I was talking about growing in grace. And so we grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, not primarily through an increase of information regarding grace. Understand this, please. We don't grow in the grace and the knowledge of God because we have gotten more knowledge of what the Bible says about grace. That's not primarily how it happens because we can have a lot of understanding of the scriptures, or should I, not understanding, we can have a lot of information from the scriptures. We can know a lot of verses and we can know a lot of principles, but the truth of the matter is, is that you and I begin to grow in the grace of God as our faith in grace grows. It's not just getting more knowledge. It's not just knowing more about what the Bible says, but it is learning more about the grace of God and believing it. It's not, it's one thing to know, okay, well, this is what the scripture says. Jesus died for my sins and that's a big part of grace. But do I really live like I believe that? Do I really walk in a relationship with God based on the sacrifice of Jesus or am I still trying to make my own efforts to earn God's favor? Do I really believe that I have the favor of God? Do I really believe what God says? He tells me certain things. He communicates to me and there's two words that I use once in a while. I remember Tullian Chavidjan was the first person that I heard use these words, but it is that we begin to trust the indicatives of the gospel for our lives. In other words, what the gospel indicates what the gospel says has already happened what the gospel says has already occurred that's why the apostle paul begins saying and and what verse are we in there i'm sorry verse 21 in verse 21 he says there he says but now the righteousness of god apart from the law say apart from the law the righteousness of god apart from the law has been revealed and so do I really live out of that truth or am I trying to earn my own righteousness, earn my own way? See, when we look at what the implications or the indicatives of the gospel are and we begin to believe those, then what happens to us is we go from believing the indicatives of the gospel to now walking in the power of those indicatives. Because another one is what? That any man who is in Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we should all know this verse. For any man who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new, right? Do you believe that? I know there's some days that you don't act like you're new. I know there's some mornings you don't feel so new. I know there's some circumstances you feel like the old nature is coming out. You feel like, man, did this grace really take? Hello. Hello. I'm just saying, but 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 the question is, did it really take? Yes, it did. If you are a believer, if you are in Christ, no matter how you feel, no matter what's going on in my life, what the Bible says is what the Bible says. That is an indicative of the gospel. And then there are the imperatives of the gospel. But here's the problem. The problem with us, especially us, and I will call us this, we are those spirit-filled people, those people who understand holiness and understand God being holy. We realize this and something inside of us makes us want to what makes us want to perform for god hello and so we want to earn some way of righteousness we want to earn something and so what we do is we become very familiar with the imperatives of the gospel and we want to live out the imperatives because we all want to please god that's the vision of the church amen And so we all want to please God, so we learn what the imperatives are, and then we end up getting caught up trying to do, do, and do instead of getting caught up with what? Believing the truth that is already there. I can't live out the imperatives without me believing, truly believing the indicatives of the gospel. And so grace-based obedience, which is what I'm talking about here, is not overbearing when we understand the truth of redemption. When we understand the truth of, of redemption, it's not overbearing. To, why, why, why do I say that? Because when I really understand the truth of what Jesus has done for me, I begin to serve him out of delight, not duty. I begin to serve him out of joy, not because I have to, but because, man, he gave everything for me, so I return that same love, that same honor that he gave to me, dying in my place. See, the problem with us is that, man, some Christians, you have no joy. I didn't say you don't smile. I I didn't say that I don't smile a whole bunch. I mean, I do smile, you know, once in a while. But you know, I'm not like walking around just said, "Hey, you know," that's that's not me. It doesn't mean I don't have joy. That just means that I'm just that's just how I am. But when I say you don't have joy, a lot of us we are so overwhelmed by all of the the things we have to do or all the things we can we don't we don't serve God with joy. And you know when we begin to serve Him with joy, it's when we really become overwhelmed by the grace of God. And so today we'll talk about grace is redeeming because grace does redeem us. And so the first thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, to truly appreciate redemption, we must acknowledge our sinfulness. To truly appreciate redemption, we must acknowledge our sinfulness. Luke, can you bring me down a little bit? To truly, truly, truly appreciate redemption, we have to acknowledge our sinfulness. Look at the verses. We're going to walk through these verses here, these 10 verses in, 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 in um, Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 31. And we start off reading together. It says, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And so again, when you go to the beginning of chapter 3, you walk out from the beginning of the book of Romans chapter 1 and all the way through, God is showing that he has revealed himself. He's showing that creation speaks for him, that God makes it clear that there is no one who will be with excuse when they stand before him because even if they've never heard the Bible preach with which you know you may have a position on that or whatever the case is, but here's the point. The point is creation is preaching. Are you hearing me? Creation is communicating. There is a creator. Seek him. There is a creator, pursue him. And so that's the reason why we see something that is within the hearts of men. There always seem to be a desire to appease God or the gods. I mean, you look at mythology, you look at, you know, any kind of history, you know, people in their religious senses, why do they make all of these idols and all of these things? I mean, you know, in, in our days, you know, for some of you, you know, um, raised up in certain, um, you know, beliefs and traditions, you know, I remember when I was a kid, you know, there used to be this, this um, candle that was, you know, lit out and it was in front of my house and it was a San Lázaro or something like that on. Right, I don't know. I don't even remember what that junk was about, but anyway, it was some santeria. But anyway, the point is, I remember you know, you see that there, you know, some some people get really into it, right? Like they put they they put food out there by these candles. They want to feed the idol. Hello. Like he's gonna get hungry, he's gotta come take a snack, right? Just he's coming by your house. Be like, yo, we left. It's kind of like think about it like this: it's kind of like Santa Claus. Y'all remember the story, right? Whether you what do you do for Santa Claus? I don't believe in Santa Claus, I'm just saying, okay. What do you do? You leave cookies and milk out for who? Santa Claus, because he needs to continue, you know, he's going to stop by your house and you want to appease Santa. Why? Because, you know, he knows if you've been naughty or nice, so hopefully, right, when he comes by and he sees some cookies, that's going to make up for all of your naughty throughout the year. I'm just saying, right? Like, oh, man, they hooked me up with my favorite, so I'm going to drop something for him, right? I mean, the, the, the whole point, it's, 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 it's the way that people deal with idols, and so the, the, what happens is the idea comes from people understood creation is speaking. And so they look at the sun and they look at the sun god, Ra. And all of a sudden they start to sacrifice to this god. Why? Because they want to appease him. They want to earn his favor. They want to earn his blessing. They don't want to be consumed by him, but they want to make sure that he shines during the season, that things need to grow so they do everything they can to honor those gods. And throughout creation, it's been that way. And it's the same thing within Christianity. People want to do everything they can. In Judaism, remember, we are Judeo-Christians. Say, we are Judeo-Christians. Which what that means, if you don't understand what that is, is that we originated, our faith originated in Judaism. We came from Judaism. We came from the belief system of Jewish people. Our Savior was a Jew. Hello? Hello? And so we need to get that, we need to understand we are Judeo-Christians, meaning that we have within our nature, within our religious system, we have an understanding of the laws of God. And the Old Testament people, and we'll just stick to Israel, those people were doing everything they could based on what? Based on God's laws, because what God does is he shows himself to us, he reveals his will to us, and he reveals his standards to us. He makes them plain. And so what the Old Testament um, you um, know, believed, Believers, which were the Jewish people, and a few proselytes, which were people who believed that the Jews knew the one true God. And so they began to worship people like Cornelius that you see in the book of Acts. You know, you see certain people like that. You know, the, 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 the eunuch who was, you know, the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, people who were going to worship. And so they understood the laws. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to obey the laws. Why did they want to obey the laws? I want you to think about this. Did they want to obey the laws because they love God? Or did they want to obey the laws because they wanted God's blessing? See that, I want you to get that. The reason why trying to please God is such an issue and is so criminal. It is because many times we do it when it is not based in grace. We do it not because we love him or because we honor him. We do it because we want something from him. Because some people are like man, there's some people that are righteous, you know, they live according to the law, you know, like Paul. He was a Jew of Jews. I mean, that's what he was, right? I mean, he says it himself he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, according to the law, blameless. And so, what does that mean? That when he says blameless, it means that he did nothing within his conscience, mind, and heart to do what? To offend the laws of God. But was he doing it because of a love for God, or was he doing it because he wanted God's blessing? He was trying to secure God's blessing. And so the issue here is God comes and says through the, through the same apostle, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And so the law and the prophets reveal what? They reveal this righteousness that's going to come. They reveal this righteousness that is going to be revealed in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say this in verse 22. He says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe in. So, who has access to this righteousness? All everyone not some people to all who believe if you're in this place and you don't know jesus and you want to be righteous before god don't leave here trying to please god by obeying the 10 commandments listen i'm not telling you to disregard the 10 commandments i want you to know that if you are capable and i promise you you are not but if you are capable of keeping all ten of the commandments, that still will not earn you righteousness before God. Have you ever thought about this? You ever read the law? When I talk about the law, I'm talking about like the book of Exodus, right? And the men and one of the men's Bible studies that I go to on Thursday mornings, we're going through a, a, a topical view of, of the Bible. When I say topical, I don't mean topical, like looking topically, you know, just like an overview of the scriptures. And so we're doing this overview of the scriptures, and as we're going through this, and we're looking at the laws of God that are written in Exodus, and you know, the, the breaking down of the laws you know what all that is breaking down the laws were when you really read it all he's doing is he's expounding the 10 commandments so when you look at all of those things that are so difficult to understand like you know the way that an animal dealt and the way you're supposed to deal with this and you know all of these different things that are in there all God is doing is expounding the 10 commandments he's making it clear you really can't keep those commandments he's making it abundantly clear that you really cannot keep those commandments and so ultimately what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to respond to God in this new covenant that we have realizing I can never keep these Ten Commandments perfectly, it doesn't mean that I don't strive to live righteously and holy. Amen? Amen. That's not what grace is. Grace doesn't say, hey, man, live how you want to live. Don't worry about the commands of God. Don't worry about obeying God. That is not what grace says because we'll get to that at the end here. He says we don't nullify the law. We what? We fulfill or we establish the law. So God doesn't say just do what you want to do, but the first thing we got to get when we're looking at redemption, for us to really appreciate redemption, is we really need to understand our sinfulness, because again, what God does throughout history, we see man, like I said earlier, trying to please God, appease him, trying to do things that are earning his favor, earning his blessing, and then what God does is graciously, he reveals himself, and he shows himself as being a holy and righteous God, he continues on, not just to reveal himself, but then he also makes very clear what his standards are. Are and in revealing his standards, he shows us what his will is. But here's the problem: we are born with a sinful nature. Every one of us, this is what the scripture says. It says, for all sin, verse 23, it says, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And because we are born into sin, and not just that we are born into sin, but because we make decisions to defy God, to ignore his standards, and to not even care about his will, we desperately need redemption. We desperately need someone who will redeem us. And so I want you to notice this because this is a really important thing. It says here, and we all get this part in verse 23, the first part, where it says, For all have sinned, for all have sinned, for every one of us, every one of us that is in this room, we have all sinned. That word sin there, that is in the past tense. And, is, and, and, and it is a word that is utilized, the way that is written in the Greek, it is a word that is utilized to point out something that deals with everyone. So everyone under, under the sun is a sinner by nature. That's what the scripture is pointing out. But here's the second one. That should matter to us, especially believers today. The second one is this. The first one is that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we are all under the condemnation of what? Of us being sinners. That's, that, that's guaranteed. But here's the second part. Because someone will say, well, you know what? But once I repent of sin, then I'm no longer a sinner, right? But well, look what he goes on to say. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, it, doesn't, it may not paint the picture here clearly in English, but when you go back to the Greek and you go back to the original, that word falls short, it is actually written in the present tense. When something is written in the present tense in the Greek, what it means is it, it, can, it can be said like they are continually falling short. So I could read it like this, for all have sinned and are continually falling short of the glory of God. So, yeah, we've all sinned, and we deal with our sin that we come to Jesus recognizing that we are sinners, but we will continue. Um, Pastor Pete, he's not here right now. He said something that I thought was really good. He said, you know what? He said, we are not perfect, and we're not perfectible. Some of y'all don't want to hear that because, you know, we, want, you know, we, we strive, right? We, we strive to be perfect in things. But his point is that while we're in this earth, we are unperfectible. There will be a day that we will be perfected. You know when that will be? It will be the day, the moment, right after you breathe your last breath here. Hello. That is the moment that you and I are going to be perfected. But until then, we are not perfectible. And so the scriptures show us what? It shows us that we will continue. But you know why Why that's important? Because I don't appreciate redemption if I don't look at it in the light of my sin. Because for me to say, well, you know, God came to redeem, we're going to look at redemption really deeply here in a moment. But when I come to say, God came to redeem me, God redeems me. When I look at verse 24, and it talks about him freely doing something, when it, when, it, when it speaks to that, well, you know what? That really doesn't matter if I don't see myself in that much need. Hello. You know, it's like you up in this place right now, you know, you got a good car, you got a good house, you got a good job. And someone comes with some kind of scheme to come and give you a better house, a better car, a better job. You're going to be like, I'm good. But now you go to someone who has no car, who has no job, who is living just foul, I mean, just in a bad situation, and you come and tell them that same story. They're going to be like, oh, my goodness, I need that. They're going to think the Savior a- 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 ro- a- arrived at their house. Hello. That's they're going to be like, okay, Jesus came right now to come and talk to me, to come and deliver me from my situation. But you know why? It's because they recognize where they're at. See, when I don't realize the need for redemption, it's only because I don't realize my own sinfulness, because I don't realize that I will never be at a place where I can fully do what? Not fall short of his glory. Second thing, repeat after me, please. Say, redemption is rooted in the Old and New Testament. The way that I wrote it was this. Say, redemption is rooted in the Old Testament and fully revealed in the New Testament. And so it is revealed, it is is rooted in the Old Testament and fully revealed in the New. Now look at verse 24 here. Verse 24 says, being justified freely, say being justified freely. Being justified freely. That means that I am justified, I am right before God, not because I did anything. Freely, by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When I look at this justified freely, it's literally saying there, it's saying justified without a cause. Understand this. God justified me, not because I was worthy of it, but because he is. He said I was righteous, not because there was there's no reason why God had to justify me. I like what one person, they were asking a question about original creation. And they were like, you know, why didn't God just go ahead and, you know, when Adam and Eve fell, I mean, it was just two of them. Why didn't he just kill them and start over? Right? Now, I mean, that, that would seem to be the easy way, right? And then just, like, remove that tree from the garden. Right? Or, or, or like, barricade it or something. I mean, I don't know, do, you know. But why doesn't he do that? Because he had a plan of redemption that was eternal a plan to redeem people to him. And so redemption is rooted in the Old Testament, and when I say that, there's a reason. It's because we're going to look at those roots in the Old Testament, and then we'll look at the full revelation in the New Testament. As uh, la- last week, in, or in, in the last message, I said in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, it was the second demonstration of God's grace, really the first, because verse 15 comes before verse 21. In verse 15, well, it's the third, the second um, demonstration of grace. First demonstration would be God creating man putting him in the garden giving him everything that's a demonstration of god's grace the second one is when man falls instead of god destroying him what god does is he gives him a promise of redemption in verse 15 and then in verse 16 we see the next demonstration of grace where god goes on ahead and he clothes them in the right type of clothing instead of leaving them in the fig leaves right and so we see this in verse 15 god's response to their sin is what grace The reason why this message becomes so important is because the way that God deals with our sin is by grace. If he does not, he has to destroy us. Are you hearing me? If he doesn't deal with us graciously, if he doesn't deal with us mercifully, then he has to destroy us, but he responds to us by grace. And so he shows us his promise again, showing us his plan of redemption being eternal. And so if you're writing notes, there's going to be, this is going to be a lot of heavy writing for you right now. And, um, I had someone that I love dearly, my beautiful daughter. She said, daddy, when you're giving definitions, slow down. I like I the way she set it up in the beginning. She was like, Dad, listen, I don't, I don't want to say anything bad, you know, about your preaching or anything like that. She said, but when you're given definitions, you know, slow down. Slow down. I was like, all right. I said, praise God, babe. Thank you for the feedback. I appreciate that. The whole church will appreciate you. And so... I'm, gonna, I'm going to attempt to slow down, all right, so you can get these definitions, okay? And listen, if you don't get the definition, because I can only go so slow, okay, because my brain is moving and I'm ready to go, trying to get you out of here in a decent time, right? But here's the thing, if you want, I can send you the whole definition. You know, we have this thing called email, amen. And I can hook you up and you will be like, that is exactly what he said, glory to God. And you know what? I ain't got to slow down. We can do it real quick. Amen. I'm just saying. But I'm going to slow down for those of you that want to write some notes down and try to get this thing right. So the first thing, the Old Testament uses three terms to deal with redemption or redeem. And so the first term that is used is the word padah. Say padah. It's P A D A H for those who are taking notes. It is a verb, pada, and, it, and it's dealing with a. It, it is a legal context. Okay, so this is redemption in a legal context. The word pada it is used when an animal substitutes or, 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 or sub, is a substitute for a person or another animal. And so the example is this. The example is. If I go and in the Old Testament, when you go to the Old Testament, what you will find is that the firstborn of animal and man had to be redeemed because God said the firstborn belonged to me, right? The firstborn male in, in, in the womb and the firstborn, you know, animal, those belong to him. And so when he says that for the firstborn animal, what, what did you do? You sacrifice that animal unto the Lord. That's real simple. But how do you redeem a child? Because God condemns what? The sacrifice of human beings. He doesn't ask you to sacrifice children to him unlike the other gods, right? So like the god Moloch, like that god, they used to sacrifice unto him. And so they used to sacrifice their children in the fire to him. And so God doesn't want to do that. But what God does is he gives instruction on how to redeem your firstborn son. And what do you do? You gave an animal and then you gave an offering later. And so the first word that is used in the Old Testament is the verb pada, and it is used when an animal is a substitute for a person or another animal, and the noun is derived from the root word that means to ransom or the price paid. And so the definition would be to ransom or the price paid. That's the first word. The second word, or the second term that is involved in the Hebrew is the word geal. Say geal. It's G-A apostrophe A-L, Okay. So Gal is the second word that is used there. And it is used primarily in relationship to family rules and obligations. It's the laws governing family property rights and duties. And so for this one, and mind you, it's not, it all, it all means this, this, this will help you out if you're writing notes. It all means what? The price paid, the ransom. That's where it's coming from. What these words are showing is how they're applied in different contexts. And so the first one is in that legal context, right? It's dealing with redemption of man, redemption of animals animals, that's what happens there. And then the second one is dealing in a family context. Family context is a little bit different. Family context, if you own property and, you know, you're, you know, s- someone died and then, all, and then I was your brother, then I would have the right and the obligation to redeem that property for what? So your name would be preserved. That's the second one that's there. If you guys remember the story of Ruth, how many of y'all remember the story of Ruth? Raise your hand real quick. Alright, so that's that's most of us. So Ruth in the Old Testament, she got married, right? Remember, she was with her mother-in-law in another land, and Naomi's sons both died. And so Ruth and her and, and her sister-in-law, they were both with Naomi until you know the sister-in-law decided she was gonna go back, and Ruth said, I'm gonna stay with you till you die. Well, when Ruth comes back to Jerusalem, there's this guy by the name of Boaz that she ends up marrying, right? And so the, what 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 we see there is we see Boaz was what he was called the kinsman redeemer. Say kinsman redeemer. And so what that was, when it says kinsmen, it's talking about next of kin. Now, you know if you know the story, he wasn't actually the next of kin. There was one other person that was ahead of him. And he went to that person and said, hey, can I redeem Ruth and all that? Because Ruth wanted to be redeemed by Boaz. So the whole thing is this. It's just a picture of what redemption looked like. And so Ruth had no hope. She had no name. And now, because Boaz steps into the picture, guess whose bloodline she's part of? Crickets. She's part of Jesus' bloodline. I heard everybody. I was just trying to get everyone to say it. I heard there was a couple of people saying, Jesus, Jesus. Listen, y'all know the right answer in church is always Jesus, right? (laughs) Whenever I ask a question, just say Jesus. Be like, that's it, Bishop. It's Jesus. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, Not always, but, you know, most of the time in that particular case. But why, why did that happen? She had no inheritance. Her husband had died. She had no land. I mean, it was a bad time. When she comes back, she is experiencing Redemption. Right? She's experiencing what Jesus does for us. We have no rights to anything. But graciously, God decides to save us. The third way in the Old Testament that the word is used, it is the term kafar. Say kafar. And that is K-A-P-H-A-R. Now, this one's a little bit different. It means to cover. That's the definition. See how easy that was? To cover. Kafar. K-A-P-H-A-R. To cover. Cover. Got it? Amen, 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 hallelujah. All right, so from the, from the root word, it comes the term meaning to cover sin, right? To atone or to expiate. And so the noun that is, it, it sounds the same, is kofer, which is where you would hear the word cover in there. And it means the same thing, but except a little bit different. It means the price paid to cover sin when it is used in a religious sense. So it is the price that is paid to cover sin when it's used in a religious sense. And so where where, where do we see this word happening? We see this in the Day of Atonement, right? We see it in the Day of Atonement because here's what you have to understand Old Testament sacrifices and animals, they didn't make, they didn't cleanse you of sin. They covered your sin. There's a difference. Old Testament, Old Testament sacrifices couldn't change your heart. All they did was they appeased God for the moment. And actually, for a whole year was when you saw the Day of Atonement happen annually. And so there was a covering of sin that took place. Now here's what I want you to get. You could write this down. The term, this term of ransom or redemption in the Old Testament, when it is used, it means the payment made for any life that should be forfeited. The payment made for any life that should be forfeited. And so when you redeem something, it isn't because it's so good, it is just because you're deciding to redeem. You're deciding to redeem something that should be dead, should be dying. When you look at an example in the Old Testament, it, 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 and I can't remember the exact chapter, but you'll find there's, there's really um, explicit examples or, or, or um, laws regarding people's animals. So like if I had an ox... And my ox came, and it gored you, right? And I didn't put that ox to death, and then it comes back and gores you again. At at that point, you know, it continues to gore people. Guess who has to die? The ox and me. Because I didn't kill my own ox. Because I allowed the ox. It's like having a wild dog. You know, you let that dog, you know, kill people. And, you know, what's up, man? You need to control your animal. Hello? Right? But then there was something called a redemption price. And so if the person who lost something due to that gave a price, then guess what you could do? You could pay for that, and I don't have to die. Kill the ox, and I don't die. Amen. Redemption examples. Now, in the New Testament, looking at the verses that we were looking at, looking at verse 24, it says, being justified freely by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, right? So that word redemption there, now we're going to get into some more definitions. That was the Old Testament foundation, okay? So the Old Testament foundation is about ransoming, it's about paying a price, it is about covering sin, right? Those are the Old Testament um, foundations for redemption. In the New Testament, this grace is shown the believing sinner... Is made possible, Paul says, through redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. And so this word redemption, I'm going to spell this word out for you, okay? This word here, it is A-P-O-L-U-T-R-O-S-E-O-S. Apolutrosis. Y'all don't think I know how to say that? I know how to say that, man. I don't know. I, I don't know no Greek, man. I'm just saying. I just made that up. I was just trying to sound it out. You know, that's what my mom taught me how to do. So I'm like Apollo true sous. Okay, but good. It, okay, so it is that word. And it comes from the word Apollo true, a truo, and it is A-P-O-L-U-T-R-O-O. Okay? So that's the root word of it. And this is what it means: it means to redeem by paying the Lutron price. To redeem by paying the Lutron price. Lutron is where you get loot, right? That's where that, 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 that's where that word would come from, like you know, loot, money, so it would be that. So you pay the price. That's the word. Lutroio is, is in the Greek, is the last word that we'll get to, and that's where it comes from. But it's paying the price that was established for something, right? That's what it's talking about. And so Jesus, he paid the Lutron price for you and I. When he says that he redeems us, that's what it says here. Now, there's three different words that are utilized in dealing with the word redemption or redeem in the New Testament. So we talked about the Old Testament words. These are important, and I'll go through these as quick as I can. The first word, I'll spell it out for you as well. A-G-O-R-A-Z-O. Agorazo. A-G-O-R-A-Z-O. And this is what this word means. It's a word to redeem, but it has a specific application. It means to buy in the slave market. And it's applied to us. Are you hearing me? It is to buy in the slave market. Hold on a second. I wasn't in a slave market. Oh, yes, you are. Jesus comes to the slave market of this world. And this is where he buys our redemption. Because what? We are all slaves to what? We are all slaves to sin. And so every one of us is bound by this sin nature, and Jesus comes to agorasso us. He comes to buy us in the slave market. The second word is ex-agaraso, so E-X, and then the word that I gave you before, ex-agaraso. And it means to buy out of the slave market. And so first, Jesus comes in to the slave market showing where he purchases us at. And then he shows us that he doesn't buy us and just leave us here. That's why the Bible says that we are not of this world. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. That we are what? That we are sojourners. Hello? That's why the scriptures continue to show us not to live for this world. The scriptures continue to show us not to be bound in the deceptions of this world, not to love this world. Why? Because Jesus came into the slave market in order to do what? To purchase us out of the slave market. And the third way that the word is used, or the third word for redeem in the New Testament is the word lutruo, and it's L-U-T-R-O-O, L-U-T-R-O-O, and it means to set free by paying a price. So Jesus does this, he comes into the slave market, he buys us out of the slave market, and how does he do it? By paying a price. He pays this amazing price for us, and he gives us this freely. And so here's what we see. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace... Right For no reason, just because he decides to do it, because it's his will, we did nothing. It wasn't because we were anything. It was because he loved us and he makes us the apple of his eyes. Not because we make ourselves the apple of his eye. He redeems us through what? Through Christ Jesus. And look at verse 25. It says, whom God set forth as a propitiation or a payment or a ransom by his blood. So what was the ransom? What was the price that had to be paid for our salvation? It was the blood of Jesus. This is what has to be shed. It is this blood of Jesus that comes. See, we don't talk about the blood of Jesus a lot nowadays. We talk about the power of the blood. There used to be songs, you used to sing, you know, there's power, power, wonderworking power. And, you know, y'all don't even know. Some of y'all are like, what's that? I'm like, yeah, 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 you need some that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, right? like what's that song? We we didn't sing it in a while. We've, we've probably never sung it, but maybe saying it all. But you know, for those of you that have been in church a little while, amen. A little bit, you, you've heard that, right? And 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 there's other songs, I don't know many of the other ones, but there's a lot of songs that used to deal with the blood, right? And, and, and we don't, but we don't talk about this blood, right? Remember what I just said? I talked about that word kopher, that word dealing with the day of atonement and what Jesus does. And so when God says, when the Bible says that God set him forth as his propitiation, he sets him forth as this ransom price. He sets him forth as a ransom for you and I. And what does he do? He, he, he buys us with what? With the blood of Jesus. And the way that this is applied to our lives is through faith. And so understand what happens on the Day of Atonement, because you need to get this. On the Day of Atonement, what would happen is the, the 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 high priest, first of all, he would sacrifice a bull for himself to cleanse himself and his family before he went into the Holy of Holies. So, you know, there was the outer court, there was the holy place, and then there was the Holy of Holies. And so there was this veil. And he was only allowed to go in there one time a year. And when he goes in there, the first thing that he does is he cleanses himself out there in the holy place. And then once he is made, once his sin is covered, then he goes and he brings two goats. And they do, they, they do I don't I, I remember, they cast lots for the goats. They decide which one is going to be the scapegoat. And I'll tell you about that in a moment. And then the one that's going to be sacrificed. And so the one that is going to be sacrificed, he's the one that gets gets sacrificed. And then what happens is the priest comes in to the holy place. I mean, the Holy of Holies. And when it comes to the Holy of Holies, there's the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant there, and you guys have seen pictures of this, and there is like, you know, the angels, you know, arms are touching each other, and there's this mercy seat that is supposed to be there. Well, that mercy seat is a judgment seat. Why? Because inside the Ark of the Covenant is something called the laws of God. And so inside the Ark of the Covenant is God's holy standards. And so the reason why the priest can't walk in without being dealing with his sin first is because of what? Because the law stands in judgment against him. Are you hearing me? God makes it clear. I will kill you if you just walk into my presence like that. And then what he does is the goat that gets killed, they take the blood of that goat and they sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And that atones for the sins of the people for this next year. Why Now, now why, what, what is the symbolism here? The symbolism is the blood goes between what? It goes between the standards of God and the person who breaks his laws. The blood atones. The blood stands between the judgment of God and allows God to give mercy. Now, fast forward to the New Testament. When the Bible says that Jesus is put forth as this propitiation or as this ransom, this price, what is happening is Jesus literally dies once for all and his blood is applied between us and the judgment of God the Father. And guess what? None of our blood was sufficient to make us righteous. Only his blood. None of our blood was able to make us righteous. It was only the blood of Jesus. He was the only one that was going to be holy. And so his blood, and when you look at the Passover, you all know the Passover story, they told him to do what? They told him to put the blood over the arches of the doorways. For what? So that way when the angel of death came by, he knew that that was a house that was covered by what? The blood. The blood. And so our lives, is not, and understand this when we talk about the power of the blood, it's not just a, a, a confession saying, oh, I apply the blood of Jesus. You apply the blood of Jesus, do that, but don't live a hypocritical life talking about I apply the blood of Jesus. That is hypocritical. That's not what happens. The blood is applied to us as we walk in repentance and humility before God and we recognize what? That we need the blood in order for us to be cleansed of our sins. He goes on to say this. He says, and through blood, through faith. And so through faith is the way we experience this power of of, of salvation and deliverance. He says, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. And so God was merciful. What he's showing is that he was merciful even back then. He passed over those sins. But now he goes on to say, and to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. So just because, this is the thing here just because god did not judge sinners the way that they were worthy to be judged which was destruction and death immediately just because he doesn't do that does not mean that he is not righteous hello It does not mean that he is not holy, but he sends forth his son to do what? To demonstrate his righteousness that he might be just. So he is a just God. He is a holy God. Everything he says he means. Everything that he calls us to he means. He means those things. He is a just God, but he is not just just, but he is also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The redemption price paid for us was a perfect unblemished sacrifice that could only sufficiently represent us and the only one who was able to do that was jesus christ amen Amen. you and i church are redeemed by his atoning blood jesus became our mercy seat and i want you to understand this our redemption was an ugly bloody costly sacrifice it wasn't pretty it was harsh it was painful it was lonely And there was only one that could do that. And the reason why he did it was because he wanted to redeem sinners into a relationship with the Father. Because he wanted to save us. And it is because of that blood that you and I can look forward to the day that we are perfected. And that is the day that we are fully redeemed. That we are completely redeemed in the sense that there is no, there is no more sin. There is no more hurt. There is no more anything that we experience negatively in this world. It is only the glory and the honor of our Savior. The third thing I should you to repeat after this. Say, understanding redemption should turn our personal boasting... And to boasting in Jesus. Look at verse 27. It says, where is boasting then? Just pause for a moment. Why is Paul asking this rhetorical question? It is because people, you would think, right, after hearing all of this, that people would not want to boast anymore. And mind you, Paul is writing a letter to people that he's already preached to, to people that he's already spent some kind of time with, right? So he's already established some of these principles in their hearts. And it's crazy to me that he would still have to tell them, man, you shouldn't be boasting in yourself. You can't boast in your own righteousness. Because it would seem like, you know, common sense in light of the price that Jesus paid, in light of everything that Jesus had done, that that we would naturally be humbled and grateful, right? That that's what would happen. But here's the thing. Sinful man will always try to take credit for something. It would, seem, it would seem the natural thing would just be, hey, man, you know what? I realize the blood of Jesus cleanses me. I realize the price that was paid for me. And we would be grateful and we would be humble, but men still continue to boast. And so Paul asked this rhetorical question. He says, where is boasting then? He said, it's excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. And so he's he's letting us know it is by faith that we are saved. It is by faith that we experience these things. He says, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So he's saying, look, you're not justified because of your actions. Now, listen, he also will communicate to us and let us know your actions should show that you're justified. Hello? You shouldn't just live how you want to live and be like, well, I'm justified because I said a prayer one day. I'm justified because, you know, I, I believe those things. But are you living those things? He's not, he's, not, he's not nullifying that. He goes on, he says, or is he the God of the Jews only? And specifically, the reason why he's communicating this is because there are some people that are like, well, if I'm Jewish, then I need to keep the laws of God and I'm going to be okay with God. But you know what God said? Just look up really quickly to verse 10 in chapter 3. Look, I want you to read this with me. Look what he says here. He says, there is none, he says, as it is written. And this is a whole bunch of scriptures that, that Paul packs in together. He says, there is none righteous. Now, when he says none righteous, does he mean some that are not righteous, or does he mean none righteous? He means there is none righteous. He means everyone is unrighteous. That is what he means when he says that. He's not saying, yeah, you know, there's some people that are right." No, he's saying there is none righteous. No, he emphasizes this. No, not one. Hello. Just in case you thought you were the one. Just in case you were a little confused and be like, yeah, Paul was talking to everyone else in the room, not me. I'm, I'm the, he says, no, not one. He's making it very clear. There is not one righteous. He says, there is none who understands. Wait a second. I thought you understood some stuff. No, nope, none who really understands. Listen, if we really understood, we wouldn't have issues accepting the fact that we're sinful. Hello? We, if we really understood. He says, there is none who seeks after God. Wait a second. I thought we were seeking after God. Remember what I said. Seeking him for his blessing is not the same as seeking after him. There's a difference. There's a difference between wanting to do things right because you want God's blessing and you living for the glory and the honor of God, which only happens once he pursues you and saves you. Hello. He says, they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. Wait a second. I thought there were some people doing good works. They do great stuff. No, not one. Again, he points out, you may think they're good works in God's sight. They're filthy rags says, their throat is an open tomb. He says, with their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I think he makes a pretty good argument that we are all condemned under sin. Even if you were a person who, you know, thought you had all these laws down. And he makes it clear. He says, not a man, a man is not justified by that. He goes on to say, is he not, verse 29, he says, or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. And so he's saying there's one God, right? There is one God. He is the God of the Gentiles as well as the Jews. He is the one who justifies us all by this thing called faith. And then he goes on in verse 31. He says, do we then make void? Do we make, do we nullify? Do we say that the law has no purpose That's what he's saying there. The law through faith. He says, certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now, here's the thing. One of the most difficult doctrines to understand is that of the justification by faith because we have been programmed to earn everything. Now, you think about this. As parents, don't you teach your children they need to act right and then they get some good stuff? Right? I'm just saying. Good parents don't just give their kids everything just because they're their kids. Now, here's the thing. Parents, let me say this. We need to teach our kids grace as well. And when our kids deserve, you know, or should I say this? When our children don't deserve something, now listen, you need to be wise. Don't just be like, I'm just parent, I'm just grace parent. Right? <laughs> I'm, I'm just I got a big G under my shirt. It's just grace. I'm just grace parent, right? I'm just right. I'm just I'm just gracious. I just always give my kids what they don't deserve. That's imbalance, okay? And then then I'm mercy parent, right? I never give my kids the beating they deserve. Hello. We don't beat our kids. Listen, y'all, take that up with the word. I'm just saying, go to the book of Proverbs. You'll learn some stuff. Here's the thing. We need to teach our kids grace, though. They need to be sometimes that they don't deserve something, and they get it. Sometimes that they have earned for themselves, you know, some real just, just, I mean, just like, they just don't deserve, they shouldn't be going to that park and you let them go. They need to see grace because that, how, that is how God is to us more times than not if we're honest. If we're really sincere, we know, man, God has been good to me and I definitely don't deserve it. Hello. But the truth is we teach our kids what? We teach them you earn stuff. You know, you do stuff, you know, you do, you do your chores and you get what? You know, I mean, hopefully you don't just give your kids an allowance, you make them earn something. Hello. Because they ain't going to get no allowance anywhere else. I'm just saying, it's not going to happen. Well, hey, I'm here. I showed up. No, you need to work. Here's your allowance for the week. Thank you for showing up. I appreciate that. That's like my wife with my dog. My dog, right? I, I believe that a dog should get treats when they do something good. Can I just get an amen someone? Someone say amen, right? I'm just saying, see the rest of y'all are with my wife, right? Some of y'all just said amen just to appease me. But my wife, when, when my dog wakes up, actually, my wife wakes up and she walks to the pantry. My dog knows she walks over there, and I always say the same exact thing. I'm like, there's your snack for waking up today. Here you go. <laughs> you just get a snack just for being you, Duchess. We appreciate you and being in the house, right? I'm just like, why are we, why, what are we rewarding her for, right? I mean, she should. Anyway, I mean, once in a while, but every day, like, she. she Duchess has my wife trained, I'm just saying, it's, you know, she's, she's got, (laughs) oh, my wife's back there laughing, y'all like, oh, he didn't say that, listen, it's a joke, it's a joke, amen, we need to teach our kids grace, but the reason why it's so hard for us is because growing up, we earn everything, we earn everything, and so when it comes to grace church, we need to turn that earning it off and just thank God because he earned it for us, that's what we do when we really understand redemption, The last thing is that redemption and justification by faith do not nullify the law, but establish it by putting it in its place. So where does the law belong? Well, first of all, the law shows us what? It shows us God's holy standards. So where does the law belong? The law belongs right where it is. It's to show us what holy means. It's to show us what God means by being holy and to help us understand what? That we are not holy like he is. That we are not righteous. Where the law belongs, what does the law do? The law, we went through the book of Galatians. I hope you all remember this. The law is a what? It is a tutor. It is a schoolmaster. It is a teacher. It does what? It brings us to Jesus. That is what the law does. The law brings us to Christ because we will continue to fall short of it as we continue to live this life. Amen? Amen. The last thing that I'll say this this is my closing question for you. Do you live your life from a place of redemption, a place of condemnation, or a place of self-justification? Do you live your life from a place of redemption? So redemption would be what? I live my life and my relationship with Jesus not based upon my works. doesn't mean that I live unholy. It doesn't mean that I live unguarded. It doesn't mean that I live how I want to live. But if I live a life out of redemption, I come to Jesus not based on my goodness. I come to Jesus based on his goodness. I live my life in a relationship with God, not because I am so wonderful. But I live my life in a relationship with God because of his grace, because of his goodness, because of what he's done. That's what it means to live a life out of redemption. I live, I walk out of redemption. But, but, but I can also walk in condemnation. I live my life because I recognize so much, because I am in his word, because I am seeking him, and I realize how sinful I am. Then I can also, instead of walking in redemption truth, I can walk in condemnation. I can always live my life feeling like I'm never good enough, like I never reach the standards of God, which is all true. But you know what? I can also say, thank God for Jesus. And when I live out of redemption, what I will notice, and please get this, is that I will be growing in the grace and the knowledge of who Jesus is. Therefore, it means that I will be living according to his standards more faithfully, more frequently than I will be failing. Hello. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It means that I'm growing in grace. Right. And then the other side of the token is the last one. Are you, living at, are, you li- are you living out of a place of self-justification where you just feel like you're okay? You feel like, yeah, you know, I've grown and I, and I see some stuff and I feel holy enough to be with God. I feel, like I'm holy. I feel like I'm good enough. I feel like, you know, I earn a right to come into God's presence. I feel like I don't sin enough for me to be able to seek him. And that's living in a place of self-justification. Where you live based on your own works and based on your own goodness. And can I tell you something? If you're living in condemnation, you're living deceived. And if you're living in self-justification, you are living deceived. So God calls us to live out of redemption. Amen? Amen. Stand on our feet and bow our heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for my brothers and my sisters in this place. I thank you, God, for each person that is here today, Lord God. I thank you for each guest that is here. And Heavenly Father, I just pray and I ask you today, Lord God, to glorify your name within us. Help us to embrace the redemption price that you paid for us, Jesus. Help us to recognize the blood that doesn't just come.